Great to be here, guys. This is awesome. How are you doing? Do I even need to ask? It's San Diego. You should be doing great. You probably made rent this month. You're good. Gosh. Well, hey, if you have your Bible or Bible app, uh, go ahead and open it up to where, just to that scripture we just read, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. You can just keep a finger there or keep it out. Yeah, so good to be with you guys this morning. It uh, feels just like a home church here at Neighbors. Uh, we're visiting from Oregon right now. We love San Diego. I've said this in the past. I feel like there's a highway and a taco shop anywhere I'm trying to be, right? That is a good deal. Getting right there in the fold with everybody that's acting like they just robbed a bank, driving crazy on your six-lane freeways. It's a little bit, you know, you got to acclimate to that. It's good. Quick backstory. Well, Lex kind of hit all that stuff. But yeah, we moved down here in 2017, helping plant Park Hill, and uh, we're heavily involved in the first year, and then my wife and I, well, we got pregnant. So I say we, but you know how that works, right? And uh, our son was born, and we just kind of switched directly into panic mode, like, okay, we got to do this now. We moved to Imperial Beach, and we're a part of a number of churches, and, and after a minute, we were just like, just applying some simple like third grade level math. We're like, okay, wait. So if we move back to Oregon, like we're going to make money, so much money that we could just come down here and visit like weeks at a time and still be on top. Like, okay, let's go. And so we moved back to Oregon and uh, yeah, have been doing that. We live out in the middle of nowhere. There are literally more animals like livestock than there are people part of a small community church, a lot like this one, people that just love each other, that know each other's names. And so truly, yeah, this does feel like home. Um, now, to be clear, this is not a pitch for you guys to move to Oregon. We're full, all right? There's no vacancy. I hear Idaho and Texas are awesome, all right? You're going to get great coffee and beer in those places. So just to clarify that. Yeah, one of the things I love about San Diego, though, is the diversity that's here, and it's just natural. There's so much diversity, and you get to lean into that as a church. Um, I miss that. Up in Oregon, you've never seen so many white people driving trucks. I mean, seriously, it's a little spooky. So it's good to be here. Um, I'm going to show you a bunch of slides this morning. Uh, for some of you, this is going to be review. For others of you, um, this might be like, step one in your journey and your faith with Jesus. Um, but so before we get into that, just because there's so many slides, I just want to throw up like a test slide, just make sure it's working. We can. It works. It works. Yeah. Lex, you look great. And can you believe that this is before he moved to California and got a nose job? So, uh, <laughs> that's all the jokes I got. Let's do this. This teaching is called The Heart of the Gospel. Now, there's a sort of mantra around churches like ours where we say we spend time with Jesus, we learn to become like Jesus, and then we intend to go do the things that Jesus did, right? Have you guys heard that before? Just basic discipleship. And discipleship is the heart of the gospel. Dallas Willard said it this way, the really good news for humanity is that Jesus is now taking students into the master class of life. So the message of and about him is specifically a gospel for our life now. 
not just for dying. It is about living now as his apprentice in the kingdom, living, not just as a consumer of his merits. Our future, however far we look, is a natural extension of the faith by which we live now and the life in which we now participate. And he ends with this, eternity is now in flight and we're with it, like it or not. And this morning, we're basically gonna unpack that paragraph from Dallas Willard. Discipleship is the heart of the gospel. We'll spend our time there. And I know this is a break from your current series. There's gonna be a lot of tie-ins. Honestly, this teaching for me, it's gonna be like throwing spaghetti against the wall and just seeing what sticks. I'm gonna give you some paradigm shifts for me that were monumental in my walk with Jesus. You guys get the whole, that metaphor, right? Spaghetti against, you don't have a three-year-old. No? Okay. It's a great time. So what is a, what is a paradigm shift? You know, a paradigm is your systems, your patterns, your habits, your routines, your way of life. A paradigm shift is when those things are then changed. Does that make sense? So here's a quote that I love from a popular business essay. It says, your system or your paradigm is perfectly designed to yield the results you are getting. Just look at that for a second. Your system, your paradigm is perfectly designed to yield the results you are getting. Or in the biblical language, a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap life and life to the fullest. That's Galatians. So let me ask you this question. In your life, are you happy with the results you are getting? Be honest with yourself. Are you happy with the results that you're getting? More specifically, in your discipleship to Jesus, are you happy with the results you are getting? Now, you may be reading your Bible every day, coming to church three, four, five days a week. You tithe. Maybe you even like serving kids. Hallelujah, right? But inwardly, you're still miserable. You're stressed, bitter, depleted. Outwardly, you still find yourself snapping at your spouse or your kids or complaining or gossip or bitter about what that boss said to you years ago. You're hurried, you're rushed everywhere, and you're stuck in the same old addictions. Is there any promise? Is there any hope to get out of that system, that cycle of disappointment? You know, for me, I was doing ministry for 15 years, uh, 15 years before I made any significant changes to my soul. So that means like I was spiritually immature from age 15 to age 25, or age 30. Grumpy, anxious, controlling, unloving. I was a bad friend. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was a bad family member. I was bad at any long-term commitment, right, or relationship. My heart was full of disordered loves. I fostered all kinds of addictions. I was playing sports, watching sports, reading about sports, betting on sports, right? <laughs> playing video games, drinking copious amounts of coffee and sugar, right? And staying up late, updating the top eight on my MySpace page, right? <laughs> if you don't know, you don't know. Anyone, right? It wasn't always top eight. Anyways, that's another deal. So during that time, it was great. I, I uh, wanted to be dating my wife in the back. She's out there in the back in the yellow. And so I called her up. I'm like, yo, girl. Um, you're, you're number one on the list, so I'm calling you first, you know. You want to go on a date? And my wife, no joke, said this. Well, my, she's not my wife, but at that time, she said this to me. She said, you know what, Michael? No, and here's why. 
you've been a bad friend. Oh, like, you're done. <laughs> Hung up the phone. Obviously, it worked out, you know. But that was the reality of my life. I was a full-time Christian, but I wasn't changing. I wasn't much different person than I was before I became a follower of Jesus. So things needed to change. The paradigm, the systems needed to change. And what got, into, what got me into that mess was a lie about what it meant to be Christian. Very similar to what uh, Dan and Shua have shared from their stories over the past months. Um, I'm a visual learner, so for me it looked like this. Before I got saved, before I knew Jesus, life looked like this. Worldly pressures, like dress like this, you know, you gotta dress cool. Watch, listen to this stuff. Be tolerant unless somebody's wrong. Get rich or famous or be an influencer, you know. Be sexually active. Talk like this, you know, make sure you're using the right slang. And all these pressures were heaped on my life before I knew Jesus, trying so hard to be cool. And all that left me feeling anxious, stressed, confused, like a prisoner, enslaved. Do you guys remember that feeling before you know Jesus and all those pressures that you had just coming in on your soul? But then I experienced Jesus, right? Salvation, Jesus saves. And there was this incredible freedom, and it was much like she was talking about. You know, you're at camp, and you get scared into eternity. <laughs> yeah, I'll follow Jesus. Jesus saves, and there's freedom, and all that pressure, right? It's just gone. Felt so good for like two months. <laughs> and then something interesting happened. All these other pressures started to creep in, Christian pressures. It was like dress modest, but also trendy. You know, Christian music only, right? I can't tell you, it was back when we had CDs, right? How many times I had to destroy my CDs, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Debate the Bible issues, but do it on social media, right? Be famous, so you gotta be a pastor, an evangelist, or an influencer, right? Get married now because you wanna have sex, right? Have kids. You talk like your pastor. All these other pressures just... Amen. And, and what did that feel like? Anxious, stressed, confused, prisoner, enslaved. You guys get what I'm saying here? Yeah. We're going to return to these images at the end. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Now, assuming many of us are in the same boat, you're maybe not happy with some of the results that you are getting, we need to look at our systems, our patterns, our habits, our routines, our, our way of life and make some changes. This is where we get into the teaching. Here's you know, two or three things, depending on how much time I have left, that for me helped rewire my soul. So you guys ready? All right, here we go. Number one, understanding the kingdom of God. Again, quick review for most of you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, fully integrated with one another, overlapped. You can think Garden of Eden. This is what it looked like. This is what it was always supposed to look like. Then after sin entered the world, these two things were ripped apart, earth and heaven. And the best way to think of this is to look at the space where God reigns. The kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God is, is always referring to the place where God rules, where people obey him and live life to the fullest in him. And there was always this, this overlap part with earth. In fact, earth you can think of as a place where the Satan rules, God's adversary, and or humans were meant to rule, but we do a bad job at it, right? 
And then there's an overlap area in the middle, and, and that's a very special place. Throughout the Bible, you see that uh, most specifically with the tabernacle, right? The tent of meeting. In fact, they decorated it much like the Garden of Eden. And then later, that would turn into the temple, and then through Jesus himself. So, next slide. Hmm, where am I? Yeah. Unfortunately... <laughs> Unfortunately, many of us think of the gospel like this. We have a sense of dualism, like a pattern that's worked into us. And the goal is to, yeah, accept Jesus. And then you, you do this cute little heaven jump that Dan's showing us right now to get to heaven. So we need to get out of earth into heaven. But the Bible doesn't teach that at all. In fact, the Bible was always teaching from the get-go that heaven comes to earth, that they are supposed to coexist together. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, right? In San Diego, as it is in heaven, the place where you rule and reign. So the main thing to understand in this first bit is that we don't go to heaven. Heaven comes to us. Yeah. We don't go to heaven. Heaven comes to us. Us. And, and it looks like this, much the same way that Jesus did ministry here on earth. We are now filled with the Holy Spirit to do the same thing. See, look how Jesus, he took his message into the world. He brought heaven anywhere he went. People were being healed. People were being seen. They were being loved. The marginalized were being loved specifically. And he brought heaven everywhere he went. And then he asked us to do the same thing. And I love that image of us just going out into earth, bringing heaven with us. This is the good news, often referred to as the now and the not yet. There is this not yet, and we're going to get to that in a second. But what I love is it means we have a purpose. We're not just sitting around. No, we're like actively participating in the kingdom of God. And it starts in your inner life and goes to your outer life, into your families, your school, your workplace, out into San Diego in all that you do. We have a purpose. We are, that mantra, to do what Jesus did. Which brings us to point number two, understanding salvation. Um, things are going to about to get dangerous, a little bit vulnerable. I'm gonna show you a slide of myself 20 years ago. Um, here's some pictures from 2002. Not much has changed. <laughs> yeah. Um, I still dress the same, that's weird. There's an eyebrow ring somewhere in there, just on one eyebrow, no big deal. And I'm sunburnt. go figure. Uh, this is me in, in doing YWAM, Youth with the Mission, evangelizing on the streets of Waikiki. Yeah, good, take it down. <laughs> and at that time, I understood the gospel to be that personal prayer that Jesus died on the cross for my sins to forgive me so that I could go to heaven. And I'm guessing that most of us in this room have heard that similar version of the gospel. And it looks like this, sin management, get saved and do that heaven jump, go to heaven. Pretty simple. In fact, you can throw my face on that. You want to? There it is. Phew. Not just throwing Dan under the bus this morning, you know? And the gospel in this way is something that's personal, right? It's just between you and the Lord, and no one can know. Therefore, nobody can question it. And we'll have to wait and see if it's valid when we get to heaven, right? Willard, Dallas Willard called this barcode Christianity, right? You get scanned on your way in to see if it's legitimate. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, called this cheap grace. Uh, he also would call this fire insurance. I love that, right? Alluding to hell. This is fire insurance. 
And it's the between time, the between getting saved and going to heaven that leads us in a bit of a guilt cycle. And this is really sin management. Again, maybe this is familiar for, me, for you. For me, this was like the first five years of following Jesus. Get saved, go sin, feel guilty, get saved again, you know, and just do that on repeat. So I'm doing lots of church at this point because I'm young and I'm sinning a lot. I mean, this was the first week, truly, of following Jesus. I raised my hand, I got saved at camp. The next week, somebody gave the gospel message and I was like, that still sounds good. Let's do it again, you know? Willard observed this in the evangelical church and here's his jab. He said this, this is, this is rough. Currently, we are not only saved by grace, we are paralyzed by it. Yikes. Did you know there are a lot of different explanations of the gospel? That's not a bad thing. Some are long. Take, for example, the Gospel of John, right? 21 chapters, and I think you guys are still like lingering there, right? That's the gospel. For Jesus, it was simply this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. But there's also a really short form of the gospel, and it's this. Gospels equal Jesus is Lord. The gospel is is Jesus is Lord. It's lordship. So what about salvation? If the gospel is Jesus' lordship, how do we understand salvation? Now, I became increasingly curious about this as I read my Bible just left to right, you know? It kept talking about salvation before Jesus was on the scene. Ancient Israel referred to God as the God of salvation. So how can that be? There must be a bigger story here. How do we understand salvation? Now, what is salvation? You know, we could hit a reset button. I'm sure a lot of your minds, if you grew up in the church, is filled with like everything from flannel graphs, depending on how old you are, to like veggie tales. For me, it was Salty the Bible. He's like this big blue Bible and he Bibles you, I guess, right? <laughs> Eugene Peterson, I love this metaphor. He said, just look at the first part of the word, salve. Salve, meaning to heal or like a healing ointment to salvage a ship, and that is to say there's like an event and a process. It's not either or, but both end. So imagine a wound or a wreckage. It can be saved initially, but then there's like a time of healing to get that ship or whatever it is back out at sea. You know, I broke my thumb a few years ago playing soccer. How do you even do that, right? But there was this moment of like immediate salvation. I looked down at this thumb and it was going that way, you know? And I just said, okay, I've seen this on TV, you know? Pull it out, slip it back in. No big deal. Drove myself to the hospital and that's when the pain really started, you know, getting in there like, give me some drugs, let's go. So they gave me some Coke, soda. <laughs> I got bandaged up. And then the healing process began, right? My thumb just didn't automatically start working. In fact, I had little exercises that I had to get my thumb going again. I'm a guitar player, so I got to get that, you know, that F shape with the thumb on the, you know what I'm talking about? Just get, anyways. But my point is this. My thumb is actually now stronger than it was before. Just the way that works with bones healing. It doesn't feel that way yet, but it actually is stronger. My thumb has been repurposed through this salvation process that wasn't just a one-time event. And so this visual is very helpful for me. This is what salvation looks like. There's a point where we are saved, 
right? There is a point where we are being saved, life here on earth, and then there's this moment where we will be saved. Let that image sink into your mind. And maybe you've heard the popular theology, just another way to look at it, justified, sanctified, glorified. Now, there's a lot of debate around these things. I'm going to give you kind of my own definitions on this next slide. Saved means you are in Christ. You're with Jesus. Being saved means you are becoming like Jesus and doing the things he did. And then finally, will be saved. You're standing with Jesus in new creation, new heavens, and new earth. Talk about this for a second. You can leave that slide up there. Justification is when you believe in the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, and yes, atonement. Christ certainly died for your sin. Your faith in him has made you righteous. You can look at Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 22. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. But the main point is that at that moment, you are in Christ. And you can go search in Christ on your own time. I did it. I just pulled out a few verses. The list is like this. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ, yeah, Jesus our Lord. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Yeah, you guys are getting it. In my own words, you get to be with Jesus on the same team. Now, on the far right of that slide, I don't know if we can flip back to it, but you have it, the image in your mind, the glorified part. Glorification, uh, John Wesley talked about it like this. Glorification is the will be saved, the future hope of resurrection our infirmities, ignorance, and mistakes being rid of. I look forward to that. Glorified bodies. This thumb is going to be rocking in heaven. Just you wait. And then there's this middle thing. We got to focus on that. That is the sanctification. This is the process by which Christians are set apart for God from the rest of the world or the process by which Christians are made holy. It's also been called progressive sanctification as it is sometimes, uh, it is the effect of obedience to the word of God in one's life. It is the same as growing in the Lord or uh, spiritual maturity. As we say around here, again, become like Jesus and do the things he did. That is the sanctification part. So more on that in a second. Now, remember us, a lot of us get stuck in that sin management cycle. Why? Because we're so focused on the question, if we are saved, Right? if we are saved. And I'll be honest, that is a huge, important topic. Like there are lots of books, a lot of pages, a lot of trees from Oregon have been destroyed because of that question, okay? But today we're just focusing on how we are saved. Not if we are saved, how we are saved. What does this process look like? Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Romans 6, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Or look at Hebrews 9. Nor did Jesus enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. 
Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, right? We sin a lot. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. All that to say, it's a vicious cycle to keep seeking justification over and over again for yourself. Jesus intended something else for you. Okay, you guys still tracking with me? Okay, wake up. We're almost there. How do we get out of that sin management cycle? You feel stuck. You feel paralyzed in your faith. It's time to move forward in Jesus, in Christ. And the answer is simple. Change your target. Change your target. You might be thinking, what did this have anything to do with the kingdom of God? It's right here. Another brilliant quote from Willard. And what becomes sin management, think bad, Getting to heaven after death is the sole target. The sole target of divine and human efforts for salvation. It is what such efforts are aimed at rather than a byproduct or natural outcome of something else that is the target. But we get a totally different picture of salvation, faith, and forgiveness if we regard the kingdom of God as the target. The words and acts of Jesus naturally suggest that living for the kingdom of God is indeed salvation with discipleship, forgiveness, and heaven to come as natural parts. So he gives us this word picture, and it's a little bit heavy, but just imagine yourself, you're shooting archery down at Balboa Park, right? Aim small, miss small, and you're going for that target, right? Well, if that target is simply getting saved, like if I am saved, What happens if you miss? Uh Uh-oh, right? What Willard is saying, make that target, what you are aiming for, the kingdom of God. Make that target the kingdom of God. And guess what will be thrown in as well? Getting saved, glorification, but also discipleship and life here and now to the fullest. Transformation doesn't have to wait. It's beautiful. If the kingdom of heaven is anywhere God's will is done, meaning it can grow in your soul, your relationships, and your geographic location, well, then we have a role to play in this lifetime. That's good news. We are a future people, a new humanity who are ushering heaven into earth. And Jesus, in Jesus, the work of the kingdom was never just believe in me, but be with me, learn from me, do the things I do. And this is what we mean by becoming a disciple of Jesus. Which brings me to point number three, and I'm sure I'm over time, so I'm just gonna kind of skip it. Point three, <laughs> point three is understanding sanctification. And the reason we can kind of cruise through this is because this is a church that's purpose is to make disciples. This isn't about just getting as many people into this building as possible. If it was, Shua would still be up here singing, Right? That guy's fire. Come on, right? Yeah. Oh, he got an applause. Did you get that? You owe me. Oh. This is a church for discipleship. And you guys hear about that a lot from here. What does it mean to actually step into spiritual formation, the disciplines, right? A new way to be human. What Jesus called the way. What others have called the means of grace, I like that, right? 
Grace wasn't a one-time thing. There's, it's a means of grace. It's a daily thing that God actually blesses us with to live life and life to the fullest. I'll show you a few more slides because we talked about it at the beginning. Being saved. This is that image from the beginning. So when Jesus now is Lord of your life, right, you commit yourself to discipleship for him. The byproduct looks like this. When you put his ways into practice, being saved starts to look like joy and gratitude. It looks like peacemaking, not just peace for yourself, right? This isn't just for yourself. It's about going and making peace in the world. Patience, endurance, and hope. Gosh, we need that right now. Kindness and generosity, right? It's, you got to learn your neighbor's names if you're ever going to love them well. You got to know who they are. Self-control and simplicity and rest. You guys picking up that I'm quoting Fruits of the Spirit here? That's kind of dope. Sacrificial love. <laughs> Sacrificial love. It's not the love the way the world defines it. It's a love that gives yourself to the benefit of the other person. That's what happens when, as you see in the middle, Jesus is Lord. And just like Jesus, when he walked this earth, he was animated by the Holy Spirit. That's what happens when you and I are animated by the Holy Spirit. This is the new way to be human. And so we started with that verse. I'm just going to read it again. Well, before that, can I ask you a question? Does that sound like good news? Yeah. yeah, that's the heart of the gospel right there. Shu, you can come on back up if you want to. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my way of life or practices upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Yes, Jesus is now taking students in the master class of life. Um, one last story. A friend came over to her house the other day. I hadn't seen her in 10 years, and she was talking to my wife, and I was making drinks in the kitchen like I do. And she was, I overheard this conversation. And <laughs> um, she said, Michael's changed. My wife's like, really? <laughs> And our friend said, yeah, I guess he's like kinder, you know, like question mark. <laughs> uh, now, I'm not all out celebrating yet. But for me, that was because the last 10 years of my life have been following Jesus and discipleship. There is hope. There is a chance to change. And I hope if you were to look at the rest of my life, you know, even into my bank account, you would see change. I can, do you have a question? I'll talk to you right afterwards. Is that okay? Yeah. Let's talk afterwards. It's a good question though. Lots of trees were killed. Trust me. But I hope 10, 20, 30 years into the future, you'll see yet again, a more changed person. When you look into my life, won't be the same irritable, grumpy, stressed out, un-Jesus-y person. It won't happen now. It won't happen overnight. It's not something you can get on TikTok, TikTok right now or at the newsstand at 7-Eleven. No, it's, it's, it's a long obedience in the same direction. So I want to leave you guys with these questions. One, do you want to change? Do you want to change? We have that slide. 
Do you want to change? Do you want to move forward in this life with Jesus? Do you want to be free from addiction? Believe that your marriage can be better. Overcome debilitating anxiety. Transform your thought life and your actions. Be faithful to your friends, your commitments. And if so, second question, you know, are you ready to be a disciple of Jesus, whatever the cost? It's a weird question to ask a room full of Christians, but, but Jesus did this often, right? Lots of people following him, and he constantly kind of upped the ante. Hey, are you really, are you truly ready to follow me? And so I want to leave you guys with this last quote. The Bible calls this sort of renewal of discipleship repentance. It's the realization that God wants from you and what you want from God are not going to be achieved by doing the same old things, thinking the same old thoughts. But repentance is a decision to follow Jesus and become his disciple in the path of peace. Yeah, let's call, go ahead and stand up. We're gonna respond and worship here. If you would, just pray with me. Father, The words in the Gospel of John come to mind. A beautiful picture of the vine and the branches being grafted in. May we stick close to you, your son, Jesus. And because of that, as Jesus promised us in the Gospel of John, would we receive help from the helper, the Holy Spirit, to remind us of your words and to teach us. May we be that type of people here at Neighbors Church, animated by your spirit.